Hello and welcome to the special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Child speaks to Noel Meehan and Emer Connery about the on-farm assessment carried out by ASAP advisors to assess farmers' impact on water quality. Okay, good morning everyone and welcome to this week's Let's Talk Dairy. And they're all very aware at this stage now about our role and the role that we have to play as farmers and the dairy industry uh, in this case in particular, but all, all farming um, elements of farming in the country uh, on water quality. And I suppose, well, I'd be a big supporter of farmers and so, and I know Emer well from that point of view, and I'm sure Noel is the same as well. We would be strongly behind farmers in terms of that they do make a, a large effort in order to try and keep water quality right. But we have to acknowledge that there are weaknesses in our systems across the country, and that's what uh, Emer and Noel's role is to look at the detail behind uh, where water quality is deteriorating. And I suppose Emer's job, more so than Noel's, is to actively uh, engage with farmers in the East Cork area in particular on the rivers that have been identified as problems and trying to get uh, positive solutions to rectify the water quality issues in those areas. So they're just going to give us a presentation in relation to water quality and how the ASAP program operates and uh, we're glad to take questions then in relation to it. So um, we'll start away there. So and I think Noel you're going to share there for Emer and Emer is going to are you going to deliver between here and Chick? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just maybe uh, get the ball rolling here, and Emer is going to come in then at a later date or in a little while. Okay. And and listen, just uh, thanks Stuart for inviting us on this morning to talk to the dairy farmers there. So we're, we're really appreciative of it. Of it. Um, I'll just share the screen here, and we get going. Um, I know people are busy, so um, I suppose just to to get set the ball rolling. And what why are we? Uh, why are we worried about water quality? And I suppose that the reason is, is that there's a, a piece of legislation out there uh, called the Water Framework Directive. And um, it applies to all waters out there, right? And what we're asked to do as a country is, is to have what they call good status for all water. So that's your rivers, your lakes, your streams, your coastal, your groundwater. And um, the Good status, what that means, I'm sure you're all aware of, of a kind of a star rating for hotels. So, you know, good status or high status is, is four or five star water is what we need. So if you're four or five star hotel, well, that's what we need for water quality. We need to have four or five star water quality. So good status is four star, high status is five star. And there's, there's various bits of, of things that the government is doing. Um, they have a certain amount of autonomy and how they can implement it. And they have these things called river basin management plans. And... Uh, we're on. We're in the middle of the second one, or near the end of the second one um, at the minute. And I suppose the first one didn't go so well, um, you know, and and it pretty much ripped it up and started again. And they came up with a with a different way of doing it. Um, so the second river basin management plan is 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 a kind of a, you know, the first one was all about regulation and enforcement and kind of blanket regulation, trying to deal with things. And it quickly became obvious that that approach wasn't working. So the second one is is a more uh, collaborative engagement kind of process where we're engaging with, with with the stakeholders you know and in this case it's it's agriculture and farmers that we're talking about but all the other stakeholders as well and, and also with communities with a view to try and, and get better buy-in and then as well as that um, we're coming up with a lot more targeted more focused um, more specific uh, 
solutions to problems in certain areas. So the issues that's been faced in East Cork and the issues that's been faced in Connemara, the water qualities are, are very different. So having the same blanket regulations to deal with both doesn't make sense. So that's what this has done. And, and out of the second one, um, two things, uh, two new bodies were set up, Law Pro, which is the local authorities water program, and ASAP, which is Agricultural Sustainability Support and Advisory Program, um, were set up with a view to engaging directly with, with farmers on uh, water quality issues that may be out there. So Law Pro are um, uh, an arm of the local authority, but they're just a step outside. They don't have any uh, enforcement uh, powers or anything like that. And what they do is they uh, assess the streams and identify what's going on, what's the pressure, what's impacting, is it phosphorus, is it sediment, is it nitrogen, is it pesticides? And they feed that back to the advisors, the ASAP service, and the ASAP service then would go and, and talk to the farmers uh, and uh, identify issues that are on their farms, uh, if there's any, and come up with a plan to improve. And Emer um, will go through that kind of process with you in, in a little bit. Okay, so just to put it in context, um, I suppose what we're looking for here is, is that we want to be in the green or the blue needs to be coming back across the page here all the way over if we can at all. And, and back in 2010-2012, we were at our best uh, status from the late, late 80s, early 90s. But I suppose where we are now is, is broadly in line with where we were in 95-97, you know, we're nearly back at that point again where water quality has slipped. And that's despite uh, massive investment by farmers and massive investment by um, uh, and wastewater treatment plants and all that kind of thing as well. And, and, we're, and we're back where we were, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So not, not in a good place at the minute. Um, and I suppose then, you know, just, just to give a breakdown of where the nutrient is coming from and where the impacts are coming from. And you have a phosphorus and you have nitrogen here. Um, you can see the various different colors in the wheel. Um, for phosphorus, that big orange color there, it, it relates to wastewater treatment plants. Um, the green and the yellow, that relates to agriculture. So you can see we're probably about a third, agriculture is contributing about a third of the overall phosphorus loading into the system that's out there. Uh, for nitrogen, it's, it's, it's a big, big difference in nitrogen. We're pretty much, you know, 75, 80% of it is coming from agriculture. So you have the yellow and the green again, that uh, nitrogen is contributing to, um, to uh, nutrient loading in rivers and streams. And I suppose this, these are just some maps. Again, the, the map on the left-hand side is for phosphorus. And, uh, you know, the, the, the standard or the, the status of phosphorus, the rivers with phosphorus in them, and then the one on the right is for nitrogen. So you can kind of see maybe certainly um, areas where um, phosphorus is an issue are, um, you know, in around the border regions there, um, West Limerick, um, you know, through the kind of the, the, the Midlands and, and down into, into the south here. Um, and I think, you know, phosphorus is, is a function of, um, phosphorus loss is a function of soil types. So you have, you have more losses and heavier soil types. So these would be heavier soil types up here with, with a bit of intensification, same as this here. And nitrogen then is kind of nearly the opposite. Nitrogen is, is an issue in free draining soils. And uh, I suppose it's, it's also maybe a function of, of, uh, of the, you know, what's going on in the area as well. So if you kind of look from Louth down to maybe, you know, West Cork, that kind of area, that line there, that would be, you know, more free draining, uh, more intensive kind of farming going on in that area, a lot of tillage, a lot of dairying, and, you know, a greater potential for nitrogen to be lost. So 
you know, that's that's what the, the, the status of the rivers is telling us as well, you know. So that's just some information there. Um, so I suppose just to give you a feel for what the ASAP is, is doing, it's, it's, a, it's a service that we provide to farmers. It's, it's confidential. It's free. And what we do is we go out and we uh, visit the farm and we walk through the farm with, with, with the farmer beside us and we have a look at, look at what's going on and uh, try and identify any areas where there may be issues. And if there, you know, if there is issues, we try and come up with a plan with the farmer to try and improve that. And I suppose just to give the dairy perspective from a national, uh, from a nationally, like we've, we've visited about 562 farms to the end of December. Um, unfortunately, like everything else, uh, COVID has, had, has impacted us massively over the last 12 months, the seven months where, where we haven't been able to visit farms. So that's certainly impacting on our ability to get out at the minute, but look, it's impacting everybody um, as well. So, you know, we find that farmers are very agreeable to advisors coming out. We have 96% of farmers engaging with the ASP advisors. And um, when we also have very good agreement on mitigation actions, and these are the things that we're asking farmers to do. So, you know, 90% of the time, what we're asking farmers to, to do is agreed by the farmer, you know. Um, and it is, a, it is very much a conversation over and back. You know, the, the day we're not there to tell you you have to do this or have to do other. There's no point. We need to engage the, with the farmers and, and say, listen, and this, this is what we think would work. You know, a farmer can say, well, I think this would work. We come up with a, a discussion and come up with a solution that works for both parties and hopefully we'll see water quality improvement. So it's, it's very much a discussion and a conversation over and back. Um, so I suppose what we do is we, we kind of, the, the assessment broken down into three areas. It's, it's looking at land management. What are you doing with your farm, uh, your land? How are you managing it? Are you, um, are you outwintering uh, in the wrong areas? Are you spreading um, slurry in the wrong areas of the farm? Um, are you, if you're a tillage farmer, are you are you doing tillage in in lands that's not suitable for tillage that could uh, have sediment losses, things like that? And, and then what can we do about it? Nutrient management as well is uh, is obviously a big area. And we, how you use your nutrients, where you're using them, and when you're using them, and how much of it is going out. You know, I think um, I'm sure you've heard that a lot from nutrient use efficiency from your uh, your dairy advisors. And then we also look at the farmyards. And you know, what we're finding is that you know the vast majority of the issues are around the nutrient and land management. What happens out in the field, and only a quarter are, are in around the yards. And people would have maybe expected more to be in around the yards, um, but no, it's the diffuse losses that we're finding is the big problem. So that kind of identifies that leads into this slide here, um, the pie chart. You know, diffuse phosphorus loss, diffuse nitrogen loss, and diffuse sediment loss. Is, accounts for three quarters of uh, the losses out there. And all the point source losses, which is from your farmyards, uh, is 70%. Yeah. Would you just explain yeah, sure. the diffuse loss just from the, just to clarify yeah. what diffuse means? Because it might be familiar to people. I will, of course. Yeah, I will, of course, Stuart. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so, as I was saying, the, the, the point sources are, are very. Um, obvious, you know, it's your pipe or your, your, your loss from a farmyard or silage effluent or whatever it is. The diffuse is a different thing, right? And diffuse losses are losses at a, at a field or maybe a farm scale. So these are where you have, um, you know, you put out uh, slurry out in the field and you get heavy rainfall and the field gets saturated and the water starts moving across the field and it, it starts um, 
percolating into the drainage network and into the stream. So that's that's an example of diffuse loss. So it's it's at a field or a farm scale, you know, and nitrogen loss is very much diffuse loss because you know nitrogen is is spread on on fields uh, for growing the grass. And when, it, when, when you have excess nitrogen over what the, the crop requires or the plant requires, there's a potential for that to be leached by heavy rainfall. And that is at a field scale or a farm scale as well. So I hope that that kind of explains what diffuse losses are. Um, and sediment is um, sedimentation or sediment, is, it's really soil. So it's soil erosion, it's soil losses um, from fields as well. So where you have badly poached fields or you have tillage or even, you know, where you have, where you have insufficient grass cover, you can get soil and sediment moving over land. And I suppose, do, don't worry too much about the content of this because uh, Emer is going to go through each and every one of these. But what we've done is just taken out the the risk, the high risk um, issues that we're finding out, out in the farm. So these are the issues that, that are are impacting, they're having an impact on water quality when we go out, you know, we're, we're very confident that these are having an impact. And, you know, the uses, the usage of your slurries, the time and location, farm roads, nutrient management, phosphorus loss, you know, um, surface water runoff. So water running over the surface of the land and getting washed into streams and drains, buffers, clean and gray water management, nitrogen leaching, drinking points, silage pits and effluent, and so on, and down along there. Um, and Emer will go through those now for you in a minute. So those are the issues that we're finding. But I suppose the important thing to say is, is that, okay, there, there may be, there are issues where farmers need to do a bit of work around the farmyard with regards to putting in a better silage slab or a new silage slab or, or tank and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and those are cross compliance issues and needs to be rectified regardless of whether the asset advisor is out there or not. Um, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is the vast majority of the things that we're asking farmers to do are not expensive. They're really to do with farmers just tweaking what they're doing and when they do it and being a little bit more aware of things like buffers and a little bit more aware of, of, uh, of weather forecasts and a little bit more aware of, of um, you know, where they might do a bit of supplementary feeding or where they might... Um, you know, uh, push a, a, a farm road, things like that. So, you know, it's it's not, they're not very expensive um, measure that we're asking farmers to do. So look at, I'll throw it over there to Emer now at this stage to take it on from there. Thanks, Noel. Okay, thanks, Noel. Um, okay, so like Noel said, um, just to reiterate it really, the kind of the key message we want to get out to farmers is that very simple changes um, your management practice can actually make a really good and positive impact on water quality. So what oftentimes it's the really simple things um, that need to be addressed on farm. So when we're going out doing our farm assessments um, and particularly on dairy farms, what I'm going to go through now is just the key issues that Noel has just spoken about, but just go through them in a little more detail. So um, and this applies really, I suppose, as well to sometimes when we bring farmers in a catchment and we say, look, we're, we're doing work on water quality. Sometimes the farmer will say, oh, sure, the river is, you know, it's a kilometre away from me. So, you know, there's no need to come here. But it, really, there is um, there's potential for nutrients to be lost from every farm and pesticides because of connectivity to the river network. So you may you may not have a stream or a river on your farm, but if you have in a kind of poorly draining catchment, if you have a lot of open drains on your farm or field drains, um, and also then in very free draining soil types, if you have, you'll have 
direct connectivity to the groundwater. So whether you have a stream or a river on your farm or not, in one way is irrelevant to a certain extent because every farm is connected, you know, because of open drains, land drains, and then on pre-draining soils because of the, the nature of the soil, there's a direct pathway down to groundwater. So it does apply to everybody. Um, so what we're finding, as Noel said, the farm assessment that we carry out, it's divided into three main areas. So there's the nutrient management site, there's the farmyard and its management, and then there is the land and riparian management. And riparian management is just the stream side or the riverside management. So they're the three broad areas that we look at. So to begin with, we have the nutrient management issues. Um, and what really the key things here are would be you know, this is the one that comes up most often is organic manure timing, location and method. And similarly for um, chemical fertilizer, the timing of it is, is really key. Um, so what we come across a lot is, you know, slurry going out uh, at times when it will be better that it didn't go out. So on very wet, saturated soils, on frozen kind of soils or when very heavy rain is forecast. In those cases, if slurry is going out and being spread, there's a very strong possibility with heavy rain that an awful lot of that nutrients in the slurry has been washed into the river. Um, obviously now with the derogation and the new rules there, the method of spreading, the low emission slurry spreading is what we're recommending. Um, the reason for that is that you'll get more nitrogen from your slurry with that method. And therefore that should then in turn reduce your need for chemical fertilizer per field. Um, the other thing there, I suppose, would be what we'd see a good bit is fields that are liable to flooding. So inch fields right beside the river, beside the stream, and they're liable to flood. You'd often see slurry going out on those fields um, in the shoulder periods of the year where there's still a strong risk that the field could flood. So there's a couple of examples that have come across where slurry was put out in February. So under cross compliance, he was fully fine like the, the open period was there the slurry went out but a week later that field was completely submerged in water so the vast majority of that slurry ended up going down the river um so that that does happen a lot and it's those kind of simple management practices that we want to try and and change really um, so again these things don't cost anything um in terms of finances it, it's just about the management the timing of when the slurry and the fertilizer is going out and what fields you pick. So obviously to try and pick the drier fields if it's possible, rather than the wetter fields. So if you can split the farm into the dry fields and the wet fields, apply the fertilizer to the drier fields first um, and to have soil temperatures at least above five and a half degrees and climbing uh, so that the grass can take up the nutrients. So there's a lot of research done um, through the Agricultural Catchments Programme, and that's what this graph um, on the bottom left is showing. There's a lot of uh, research done there about the closed period because it comes up a lot about the calendar farming and farming by dates. And really where, where those dates are coming from is that research through the Agricultural Catchments Programme. So over four years in a number of different catchments across the country, um, there was an awful lot of sampling, you know, very intensive sampling done in catchments. And in each one of the catchments, it was found that there is a disproportionately high nutrient loss, so phosphate and nitrate, during the winter period. Um, and that's simply because the grass growth isn't there, the soil temperatures aren't high enough. So the closed dates aren't going to change. Um, 
we, we just need to adapt as much as possible to try and get the slurry and the nutrients out at the right time and in the right place. So the soil samples, again, I suppose the other things we're finding would be that people have their soil. Yeah, I've put it up here in my notes. Uh, sometimes I suppose they're thrown in the drawer and other times, um, you know, it's a complicated document at times, so it is hard. It isn't always the most user-friendly of documents. So really, um, the, the, the key pieces, I suppose, if you were to look at your nutrient management plan would be the, the maps, so the colour-coded maps. Um, you can see there the lighter colour, that's index one. The, the, the light blue is index two. The green is index three and the dark green index four. So where you're applying, if you can, if you can look at your maps at least, and then you'll know which fields require the nutrients. So trying to match the crop requirement and the, the soil requirement for your nutrients, rather than just putting it out in the, the field closest to the yard, I suppose, every year. And the soil samples to know where your soil samples relate to. Um, and trying to get the, you know, your indexes for phosphate and for potassium and the lime as well would be key. Um, then you can see there the, the critical source areas map. So the map are the picture on the bottom left. That is showing, these maps are developed by the EPA and really what they're showing is the fields that are most risky for nutrient loss. Um, and where they're being delivered, so where the nutrients are potentially being delivered into field drains and into open drains and into the stream and river network. And really the, the benefit of these um, is where is that we can identify more targeted, I suppose, where nutrients shouldn't be applied. So you can see the picture there on the right hand side. You know, this will be a classic example of where you don't want to put nutrients, slurry or chemical fertilizer in that field maybe a few days before very heavy rain is forecast because you have a really, really high risk of nutrient loss there with the amount of water that's lodged in that field. Um, you don't want to be out wintering cattle here or maybe having round feeders here. So it would be those kind of fields in every farm and you'd all be aware on your own farm where these are um, and to try to avoid these areas with nutrients, particularly at the shoulder periods of the year when it's much higher risk of nutrient loss. Okay, now we can skip on to the next one. Okay. Um, Coming up, yeah. There's a bit of a delay on my side, but I actually, I'll pull it up. Yeah, that's okay. So then in the farmyard, um, the main issues that we're finding would be Again, kind of clean and grey water management. So your soil yards, um, trying to make sure that the clean, the gutters, downpipes are all in good working order um, and that they are taking the clean water away to a clean water drain. Um, you know, the collecting yard or any open feeding yards, that everything that falls in there is collected and contained. Um, that type of material isn't to go into a drain. And, um, to make sure that you have sufficient uh, storage, particularly for soiled water, I suppose, with the increase in cow numbers, the soiled water storage, you know, that might be under pressure. Um, and then you're under pressure to put that out at times when maybe the weather and the, the, soil, the soil is saturated and it would be better not to. Um, in terms of the silage pits and silage effluent, you know, silage effluent, similar to dairy washings, would be extremely polluting. So a small bit of that getting into a river or a drain has a very, very um, large impact on the, the ecology of the river. So just to make sure that your silage slabs, that they're not cracked, um, 
the diversion points that they're turned the correct way. So when the silage goes in, that the effluent and that the channel and diversion point is turned into the, the SADA tank. Um, and I suppose there a couple of years ago, there was a lot of pits that split. Um, I suppose there's bigger volumes of silage going in. So if possible to have the silage wilted going in, um, and, and some people, I suppose, with the increased volume of silage may need to look at extra silage slabs and so on. Um, the same with slurry storage then, I suppose, increased cow numbers. And in some cases, people haven't been able to get the extra slurry storage yet. But where that leads to a problem with water quality is more that you're under pressure then to get the slurry out at a time where there's a high risk of a lot of nutrients getting into the river network. So in the picture there in the bottom left, um, what happened there was slurry was fed, spread when the ground was um, frozen and there was some snow on it and the slurry was spread. But it's when that snow melts then it, it um, carries a lot of the nutrients with it and straight down into the river. So oh, that's the issue really with slurry storage. Yeah. There's just a question there yeah. uh, that's, that's right, uh, connected to what you're just saying there. So this, uh, the question is, like if, and, and as you said already, from a cross-compliance point of view, the farmer is fully correct. But if your tanks are full in mid-February yeah. and there's a lot of rain forecast, what do you do in that scenario? Then you're, 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 you're compliant yeah. in terms of you have the storage, you've been trying to hold on for as long as possible, but the weather just isn't in your favour. Is, like, is there any advice that you, you can give to people in, in terms of trying to mitigate against the major loss no. in that scenario? Like? Well, there's no magic wand, I suppose, but if you are under pressure and the weather is going against you, um, we're not looking at slurry storage per se, so we're not going out measuring tanks or anything like that because that's all there under cross-compliance. The only thing I'd say to try and reduce the losses, if you did have to put it out, is to try and put it in the dryer fields, number one, and then if you can, to try and keep away from um, the field with the river beside it, so the inch fields or the wetter fields, to keep away from those. If you do have to put it into a field where you have, say, open drains or streams or rivers in it, try and keep the buffer back. Um, it's meant to be five metres from open drains, streams or rivers. That doubles then to 10 metres. For people in Cork, it's the middle of January to the end of January that it's a 10 metre buffer. Um, so if you're in that time frame, make sure the 10 metre buffer is there. Um, but if you can extend that buffer even further back, all the better, because you're reducing the, the chance of the slurry getting down as far as the, as the river or the stream. And avoid fields that are very heavily sloped um, down towards the river because the runoff, it, it's very easy for the runoff to go directly. Um, but other, there is no magic wand or there's no magic mitigation. It's, it's um, I suppose, really, it's to try and work back and see where the tank's empty for the, for the coming year to try and see are the tank's empty going into the winter. Do you possibly need more slurry storage? Is there water getting in somewhere? Is the soiled water going into the tanks? It, things like that then to plan forward. But, um, but other than that, to try and keep the slurry away from, from the drains and the and the streams and the rivers and keep the buffer zone back as far as you possibly can. Um, is that okay? And, so and you can discuss out, it again after anyway. Yeah and, yeah, and just put out the bare minimum, I suppose, to get you by in that scenario too. Like, I mean, I can understand yeah. where that person's coming from. We'd say you, you, you might be full since 
or you're after holding on until mid-February and hope to spread it in better weather and yet the weather is possibly deteriorating instead like and, and now you're yeah. getting into an animal welfare issue nearly at this stage because it's already coming up so yeah bare minimum and yeah, um, yeah. and maximize the buffer zones to all open drains or rivers or anything really yeah. like yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that's probably as best you can do. Yeah. Um, the other thing there, the drain connection from the yard to water. So uh, what we've come across in some cases would be where um, dairy washings in the pit are directly going into a drain. So again, dairy washings is very, very polluting. So to avoid that, like no direct connection um, from any polluting material to go into drains. Um, so to check those type of things within the yard, they'd be the main, that's like a broad overview of what we're finding, I suppose. Round bale storage would be another one where they're wet and they're, there's effluent coming out of them. So there's things like that um, that would, we would look at anywhere that nutrients are escaping from the yard. Okay, Noel, you can move on there. So, so this is what we found in a couple of places then where you have that constant drip feed of nutrients. So it would be relating back to the last one there where you have a drain connection from the yard. Um, so the picture on the left hand side there shows that was outside um, a farmyard. And what was happening there, there was some dairy washings and a little bit of seepage from a dung heap going into that drain. But what you can see in that drain is sewage fungus and it's very distinctive. So you'll always know if you see that in a, in a drain or a stream that it is a constant drip feed of nutrients. So the dairy washings is coming in there twice a day, morning and evening. So it's constant. The nutrients are constant there. And the same with the picture on the right hand side. That was, again, um, dairy washings that was going directly into the drain and not being collected um, in the yard. And again, you can see that kind of sewage fungus. It's a scummy growth. And if anyone was to look into that river, you know, straight away, you know, then that there is a nutrient issue. And what we do with our colleagues in Law Pro is if that's found, we work our way back up. You're nine times out of 10 looking for a pipe. And when you find that pipe, then that's your connection to the, to the not the culprit, but to where the source of the nutrients are coming from. Um, and again, it's important to say, and I know Noel said it already, is that we are non-regulatory. We're um, completely voluntary and confidential. So if we are coming to you, about an issue like this you're not getting in trouble there's no penalty associated with it we're just trying to rectify the problem and improve the water quality and move on um, so so that's what we are finding definitely in in a number of cases okay no and um, move on again um, and then when it comes to the land management issues um, the general things that we're finding are the most common things that we're finding would be not adhering to the buffer zones. So like we said there, the five meter buffer zone applies for slurry spreading um, from anything that can carry water. So that includes open drains, uh, streams and rivers. And for your chemical fertilizer, it's a two meter buffer. Um, so we would see the picture there and the um, that's a dairy farmer um, up in the west of the country, but they have a really wide buffer there, a vegetated buffer. And the river is just behind that. So the river is very well protected in this case. And the farmer has also then left another good buffer where he stopped spreading the slurry. So the river is very well protected there uh, rather than where you'd see the slurry spread right up to the edge of the river. 
Um, so the buffer zones would be the no spread zones that, that we, we would look for. Um, in terms of the farm roads and the gateways and underpasses, that's obviously come in now um, as part of the nitrates regulation as well, that you have to divert all runoff from the roadways away from drains and streams and rivers. So the recambering, so that, that is coming up an awful lot as well. Um, the nitrate then for the soils, for farmers down the south and southeast of the country, nitrate is the big issue um, down here because the nitrogen, when you apply it, it doesn't bind to the soil, so it's very easily lost. So again, what you're looking at there is the right rate, the right product. So trying to, we're looking to aim to use more protected urea because it's a slower release fertilizer. So there's a less likelihood of the, the nitrate being lost um, because of the form that protected urea comes in. Then the drinking points and the stream fencing, you can see the picture there in the bottom right, obviously we want to avoid that. Um, I suppose that would be maybe extreme, but so you're still allowed cross your, your cows across through a river, but you have to drive them straight through and then fence off either side. So no loitering around in the, in the stream like this. Okay, Nolan. So the nitrogen, as I said, or the nitrate, that's easily lost by leaching. So if, if you put on too much, more than the grass can take up and you get heavy rain, you get it leached down into the groundwater. It's different then for phosphate and sediment that's lost by overland flow. <clears throat> so you can see the picture there in the, the left-hand side, you have a receded field, so a large receded field, and it slopes down towards the river. And you can see the water there, how it is, you know, it's just directly coming into the river. It's quite brown, so there's a lot of sediment or soil, sand, silt or clay in it. And that the sediment has a negative impact on the river water quality as well. So really there in that picture, it's, it's the source of the bare earth that you can see just back um, up a little bit. That, that bare soil is a source of sediment. It's very close to the river and there's no, there's no kind of adequate buffer there or riparian margin there's no woody uh, there's no trees along it to help slow down the flow of water really is what you want to do there to allow that sediment to settle out of the water before it gets into the river the other thing with that picture is and it's just the way i suppose agriculture has gone the field that's receded is a very large field so if you were to look at the old historic maps for that field 100 years ago there would have been an awful lot more fields and hedgerows there so there's, there's, there's less stuff to hold the water on the landscape and the water is moving off the landscape quicker. The water, the rain is coming now much heavier downpours. So there's less kind of, there's less there to slow down the flow of water and allow nutrients and sediment to settle out of it. So if you just press again there, Noel, a couple of times, the, yeah. So you can see then, um, on the picture on the right hand side. These are new maps that the EPA have developed and these maps will be publicly available in hopefully in another month or so. And what these are showing is where nutrients are likely to flow over land. So these will be available for every farmer across the country. And what, what they'll allow us to do is have a much more targeted approach to when we go out to a farm, we'll have these maps with us and we'll be able to see um, off the map where nutrients are likely to flow and where we could, in, where we could put in our mitigation measures. 
So the black there is, is a high likelihood of nutrient loss and the red is a very high likelihood of nutrient loss. These are based on soil type, stock and rate, elevation, topography and hydrogeology. So there's a lot of kind of information in the background to develop these maps. But you can see where the green circles are. They would be called these focus flow delivery points. So that's where the nutrients are getting into the river. So that's where we would target our measures um, to help prevent. These would be in particular now for phosphate and sediment loss. The nitrogen is all about source control. So the amount of fertilizer going out. Um, the yellow line there is where you might potentially put a hedgerow. We'd need to ground truth all of these, um, you know, so there can be, you know, these might be different when you go out on the ground and walk the farm. But it's just an example of where things are going and how much more targeted it will be going forward. OK, so we'll go to the next one there. So these are the types of measures that we're talking about that would go into those uh, green circles or the yellow lines. So these measures, these mitigation measures are all things that help reduce phosphorus loss and sediment loss. And these all have a co-benefit then for biodiversity and for greenhouse gases potentially uh, and carbon storage. So you have a treatment train there at the top left hand one uh, where water will come in and it's like a settlement pond, but it, there's three of them. So it would allow the water and nutrients to settle out. Engineered ditches are another one, um, you know, wetlands and ponds and vegetated uh, buffer zones or even riparian tree planting. So planting of native trees in wet areas, in those critical source areas, um, would help to slow down the flow of water and allow the nutrients and sediment to settle out. So these are the type of things that we'll be looking at much more, I'd say, going forward in those uh, targeted um, critical source areas. OK, so we're nearly finished there now. Am I right in thinking that those um, engineered wetlands and things are actually going to be allowed under uh, BPS now? I think I saw read something about that recently. Yeah, yeah. So it's in the terms and conditions for this year that any measures that a farmer puts in place that will improve the birds directive, the habitats directive, or the water framework directive, that they will be eligible for BPS going forward. So if someone was putting in a measure like this, uh, then yes, it is eligible, but it has to be mapped out um, on your BPS. And it's a change to the eligible area. So it's not a separate map, but you do have to request a change to your um, eligible area on the BPS. Um, so, that, so that is there in the terms and conditions. Um, I suppose just to prefix it by saying, you know, wetlands sometimes... You just have to be careful where they're sited, if it's in an SAC, uh, especially area conservation, or different things like that. There may be issues with planning, um, but I suppose if anyone is interested, they can talk to us and we can advise them on it. It's probably the best um, approach on that. So just to say a few words on sediment and why it's a problem, um, you can see in the picture um, here, so there's a drinking point there up in the top right. And you can just see the discoloration in the water. And that is a problem because the, the light, it reduces the light getting into the, into the stream and that affects the ecology within the stream. So the other issue then is you can see the two bottom pictures here. The one on the left is a lovely clean gravel bed river. And you can see just in the front of that picture there, these freshwater pearl mussels 
and they're filter feeders and they're extremely, I suppose they're quite rare now across Europe, but Ireland has one of the best populations of these, but they are actually only in, we'll say kind of the lowly or the, the less intensive catchments in say North Kerry, West Cork, Donegal, Mayo. But they are very sensitive to this sediment and you can just see the difference or the contrast between those two pictures on the bottom. The one on the right hand side is where a lot of sediment is getting in and it, it clogs the bed of the, the stream. So the gravel beds, the spawning beds are completely covered and it has a very negative impact on water quality going forward. Um, and sediment brings nutrients with it as well. So <clears throat> that's just the problem with sediment. And so if we flick on to the next one there, Noel, please. So you can see here, this is just um, one that we came across. It's just a, a river, a very fast flowing river in a very erosive. So it's quite um, dynamic, it changes and it, it's undercutting you can see there that the the bank of the river is going to fall in so the farmer wants to do something about that and you can see that the farming is coming right up to the edge of the river there so there's no there's no riparian margin there or kind of long vegetation or woody woody um, material going there so there's nothing to hold the bank of the river together so just two of the options that would be um that would be possible here would be willow planting and rock armoring and have to preface this by saying you must contact Inland Fisheries if you're going down the road of rock armoring or anything to do with touching the bed of the river in particular. So just going to the next one there and this is one of the final slides. These are just some of the solutions that can be put in place. So the one on the left hand side there is rock armoring that was, was, uh, that was taking place, that's out in Cantark. And it was done in conjunction with Inland Fisheries Ireland. And now they generally speak and don't have a problem with any of that type of work. But what, where the issue is, is on the timing. The timing is critical. So you can't do it uh, when fish are spawning. And the best thing is that you contact Inland Fisheries Ireland directly before you do anything to the river at all. But you can see the rock armory there that it's, it fits in well, um, you know, and it's working quite well. And the one on the right hand side then is just where the river was eroding the bank there. All the farmer did in that case was put willow slips in. So you just literally put the willow slips in at an angle. And once you put willow in, it'll just take off. It's really the problem with willow is actually trying to control it and keep it under control rather than establishing it. But the whole idea there is that the willow roots will um, will really hold the, the bed of the bank of the river, the bank of the river together and keep it from falling in. So the final slide there, Noel, um, perfect. So the summary then, just to say water quality is declining. And from agriculture, the main issues are diffuse phosphate and sediment losses, nitrate losses. There are still, still point sources are still an issue. Um, soil type, weather and farm practice, the three of those things combined all influence water quality. So we'll leave it at that. So if there's any questions, um, myself and all would be happy to, to take them. Okay, so Imer, that's great. Thanks very much. That was really interesting. Um, I suppose the, I suppose the problem that people probably encounter <laughs> is like um, trying to get the balance right, we'll say from the angle that I come from with the production side uh, versus what you're trying to promote as well. And it's trying to marry the two together to get the right solution for us both. 
So like we'll say, are people that are putting out nutrients there in uh, mid-January, are they, if, if, if everything is right, like you said, the soil conditions are good at the time, the temperatures are good at the time, and they apply their two, 3,000 gallons of slurry or they put out their half bag urea, is there a period of time then that they need to be, that they're at risk of loss? So like you said about the heavy rainfall events, but like if, if you do it on a Wednesday and it's the following Wednesday before the heavy rainfall comes, is there still loss associated with that application then or what's the situation? Um, well, for the river, if you don't, so if you have a week between when you get that heavy rainfall, a lot of the nutrients should be, ta <clears throat> should be taken up. But I suppose the key thing is the soil temperature, is the grass growing and is the grass uh, growing enough to take up the nutrients. So that would be the key one, really, the, the soil temperature along with the weather. Um, the other one for losses there would be the losses up to the atmosphere. So I suppose the later you can leave it, the better it is for the environment in general. Um, I know that doesn't tie in entirely with the, the production side of it and I suppose it's trying to get a balance. If you are putting it out earlier, like say put out you know, the minimum and to keep the buffer zones would be really, really important. I know both of you. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, no, sorry. Yeah, just to come in, yeah, sorry, Stuart, just to come in there, like, um, you know, it's a very good question and, and you're right that it's, it's to try and get that balance right between getting the grass going because we know how, how important it is for, for the for dairy the dairy industry to have grass cover and to have adequate grass and get the most dairy as you can. It's, it's a far more profitable system. And, you know, getting the nutrient out uh, early, um, you know, it, it is a double-edged sword. You know, you can, you can, you will get a certain bounce from it, but... I suppose your query about um, you know the losses. You're, you're more you you're more likely to get the losses the, earlier in the season because you know the soil temperatures. Even though you know this this spring was quite mild, you know the the was um, the soil temperature were good from you know early or maybe even all through the winter. I'm not exactly sure now, but certainly from mid early February, mid February, the soil temperatures were, were very good. But you know, there was a period there down in your part of the country where you got serious rainfall uh, in uh, in late February there. You know, there was, you know, all that flooding that you had down there. So what happened to that nutrient that was out before that? You know, um, the growth rate wasn't there to use up all that nutrient. And look, it's a fine balance. I, you know, I can't, I can't say, you know, not to do it, but you just need to be that bit more careful and to try and hold off. The later you get, the later you can hold off. If you, if you have a good, autumn rotation planner, a lot of grass covered there, you know, just because it's the 15th of January or, or the 1st of February, you, you, you don't might need to go out then, you can hold off later, just just to hold it off as best you can. Maybe don't blanket spread the whole farm, if it's a couple of paddocks that's behind that you feel it might benefit, maybe target those ones, but but certainly, you know, we, we have to we have to become a lot, a lot smarter on how we use our nutrients, particularly in that January, February, up until March, up until now, time of the year. And, and again, then at the back end in September, October, what are stories, you know, that is where we're losing the most of the nutrients. And that's where a lot of the damage has been done. Not as bad from this time of the year on. Soil, soils are, let, are, are, the moist soils are drier. There's not as much moisture moving through it. The growth rates are better. Days are longer. You're going to get a better bang for your, your fertilizer. So I think the message is, is to try and, and minimize as best you can what you put out in that January, February period of the year. Um, I understand that some has to go out, but try and minimise it as best you can. 
Yeah, and Emer, I suppose, just from your visits to the farms, then, like, you, you didn't identify. I, I was a bit surprised even by Noel's figure there, that it's 24% only coming from the farm issues. But would you see a lot of trouble in terms of that grey water that you described, um, that, like, would say, shoots broken and uh, leading into tanks actually that are possibly creating problems on farms? Like, we often talk about extra mm. storage, but are we managing the storage that we have well enough? In, in many farms, uh, yeah. from the, the examples that you've seen so far on your travels? Yeah, yeah, definitely we would, yeah, a lot of shoots and uh, gutters and that broken. And it's because, you, you know, like like anything, if you see something every day, you don't you say, oh, I'll do that, but it doesn't get done. Um, so yeah, there would definitely be a proportion of that. And then the other one really would be the dairy washings and the pit that that can often be going straight to a drain. Um, or, you know, just that kind of general run, like from the workings and the business of the yard and the movement of, you know, it's, there's so much happening in a, particularly in a dairy farm. The yard is, you know, it's very hard to keep a yard very, very clean. So there's always going to be some little bit of a run out of it. Um, and it's really just trying to minimize that. But yeah, that it is that kind of, kind of grey water you'd call it so it's not soiled water sometimes but it's not clean water you wouldn't drink it either that that water kind of you know it's a little bit I mean it's so little amount of phosphate that causes a problem in a river it's it's 200 grams per hectare so it's tiny so it's that kind of grey water that really does actually accumulate if there's a little bit coming from your farm and everyone's farm then it does accumulate and that has a knock-on effect then in the river ecology and it's it's, it's a tiny amount really that we're talking about uh, sometimes. So those little things in the yard, yeah, they are an issue definitely. And they're just the things that you kind of put in the long finger really more than anything, I think. Yeah, and I suppose, um, and I think uh, Marion Beecher talks about plan, do, review all the time. Um, and I think it's always, this is a good time of the year now, just, we're, okay, we're still probably have cows housed around the country because of tight, a bit of tightness in grass um, quantity at the minute. But when the housing period is finished, is it, it's it's probably a good time to actually um, kind of think about the winter that's just gone and and look at those scenarios and review them and correct them maybe. The other thing then you mentioned the dairy washings like that's a major source of of uh, serious volumes of water really on dairy farms. Is there any good solution to that that dairy farmers could implement to reduce the quantity? Like, and I think you said it in the presentation as well often that can be going into the slurry storage tanks, which is ultimately creating the scenario on the on the 15th of January or the 13th of January where people are panicking because their tank is now full with what is, for all intents and purposes, mm. a lot of water really that is slightly polluting, yeah. polluted, depending on the amount of milk that yeah. might be in it. But, so have you seen anything good on yeah, farm so reduce the quantities? Well, we're really... I haven't come across anything yet now and a lot of what we're doing like we've done our, a lot of farm visits and then COVID came so that delayed us a lot but the mitigation measures now is the next kind of really critical piece like on farm those engineered ditches or the wetlands trying to get more of those in place to see you know how they would help to lessen what's going in and in these targeted areas um but the dairy washings yeah I suppose a lot of you know, with the increase in numbers, maybe some of the tanks haven't um, increased in line with that. Um, and that going into the slurry storage then is a problem because you are under pressure then. Like, and that that is common enough, all right, that um, the tanks are just filling up too quickly. And sometimes it is a lot of water getting into the tanks. 
Um, so I don't know, Noel, do you want to add anything I to think, that? I think, to, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'll jump in there. I think, you know, you, you probably hit on it there with that, that quote from Marion Beecher. Like, I think now is a good time um, for farmers, particularly if you've gone undergone expansion the last while, to sit, get, get your advisor out, sit down and have a proper, honest look at what you have. The rules are very clear. They're very black and white with regards to uh, slurry storage, uh, dairy washing storage, all that kind of thing. And I think you'd be doing, it'd be a great day's work if you sat down with the advisor, your advisor, and, and had a, an honest look at your silage pit. Is it big enough? Have you enough of heftal storage? Have you enough of slurry storage? Have you enough of dairy washing storage? Um, do up a plan. And, you know, there is TAMs there available still. Uh, there is a planning process to be going, to be gone through most likely for most people so you know it, it'll take the goods to uh, nine to twelve months before you, you'll be if you needed to do something fairly major it'll take the goods to nine to twelve months before you'll be able to before it be shovel ready for one of a better way of putting it so you know i think it'd be a very good exercise for every farmer that's on the call there today you know to, to do that if particularly if you've expanded in the last number of years to just to get to know where you are because look at um you know we we, we know from local authorities, uh, from talking to EPA and the department, that the incidences of of uh, slurry going out during the closed period, you know, it's it, Jack Nolan has referenced it on more than one occasion. The department knows what's going on, and you know, I suppose it's it, you know, it, it that that won't be allowed to persist. I'd imagine by the regulators, they won't allow that to happen much longer. They'll start making those calls, looking for that kind of information. So I think it'll be in everybody in farmer's best interest just to put a bit of time into that and try and get get, get it sorted if they can at all. I suppose, um, Noel, just following on from that, I think, I uh, can't remember what the term the term that they're using for, but the department are actually working with the Sentinel satellites, I think, at the moment. Um, and they actually will be in a position to nearly pinpoint the date when material was spread potentially within the next couple of years. So people would want to be very conscious of that like I mean there's no yeah. doubt about it there's been an increase in the amount of uh, closed period spreading that has been going on Um, I suppose for want of a better way of describing it a blind eye has been turned to it but it's been noticed at the same time and uh, like we're really shooting ourselves in the foot in reality aren't we? Yeah look, look at it it's I, I, and, and in fairness majority farmers are, are, are doing their best and abiding by the rules and, and are probably headed up to here with rules but the reality is, is that there's some that aren't, and and uh, you know they're they're unfortunately they're, they're dragging down the good name of the farmers that are compliant and doing their best, and um, those are the ones that that need to really take a look at look at what's going on and rectify the problems. You know, it's 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 cross compliance. Um, there's rules and regulations there. Okay, maybe the the penalties mightn't impact. That severely on on on, a, on the overall income of a, of a farmer, but um, you know it's they're still there. There, it, it it you know it's a no-brainer really. You know if you're going to be uh, at this thing, you, you need to have your house in order. Um, it will long term. It will you know remove some of the criticism that's there of, of farming at the minute because it, there is some criticism there, and you know it, unfortunately with social media and that people jump on things and, and without fully understanding uh, what's going on. Um, that's the way of the world at the minute. So, you know, I think it's it would be a really, really good exercise for every farmer just to sit down with an advisor and do up those sums and figure it out. And and, and if there's a deficit, go ahead and make a plan and do something about it. You know, it'll, it'll future-proof future your, your 
your farm um, and, and make you more have less things to worry about uh, and your day-to-day -day business you have enough to worry about besides having to worry about a department inspection or a county council inspection you know so you know relieve that pressure off yourselves yeah i suppose um emer as well like coming back to the point that you're making about the gray water again um like there's like if you do that plan do review kind of scenario and uh there's probably scope for a lot of the gray water that is created not to have to be collected during the close period because a lot of those yards aren't necessarily they're not dirty yards during close period but they tend to probably be still feeding water into tanks and so forth so minor enough mm. works have you seen that minor enough works can actually resolve those things like light diversion yeah. tracks and so forth yeah and i suppose what probably we might see more of would be planted filter drains and things like that um where that gray water that doesn't need to be collected now under nitrates so it's, we're not talking about soiled water and we're not talking about slurry or silage effluent or dairy washings or anything like that but that gray water that is just i suppose where the yards it, it's just that that stuff that doesn't need to be collected can go into filter drains so you'd have kind of a slope in it and you would have um maybe kind of two or three dams in it so that the nutrients can be taken up by growing vegetation and the, the nutrients can be taken out of it that way. So we may see more of that type of thing going forward um, or willow beds. I've seen some people put those in to deal with the runoff from farm roadways. Um, but really what we don't know enough yet, I suppose, is how these will work and how they'll function. And, you know, I suppose that come, that's kind of going to come more and more now and monitoring these to see the intake and the outtake of it and how... The, the nutrient is being taken out to make sure that they are actually working. So I do see a lot of that kind of stuff going forward. Um, and like the willow beds or the reed beds or things like that will, like you said, be, they'll be eligible under Crosscom or under a single farm payment going forward as well. So that's a big plus that that those um, elements will be, that you'll still get payment on them. You won't feel like you're losing out completely but putting these features in place. Because a big issue really has been across the country, the fact that, you get a letter to say that you're overclaiming on scrub and a lot of times that scrub is beside the river so it's been taken away and that has been protecting the river so um that that's a really big plus now going forward that the department have changed that for us that that is a really really um big plus going forward definitely yeah and just the final question Denny, more in relation to the willow on the bank of the river has it actually been put into the bank or up on the bank? Just from the picture that you showed there, or it looked it, like it was actually being stuck into the bank early. Yeah, it's into the side of the bank. So you, you can do it either way, really, I suppose. You can you can put it on the actual field side, we'll say, on the bank. or you could, In that picture, it was into the side of the bank. So um, it was just a little slip of willow that was grown locally. Um, he didn't buy them or anything. They were what was grown locally. They were just pruned off um, another tree because willow will really, really, you know, it takes off quite well, particularly where the ground is wet. Um, and it's just stuck in, but just to have it at an angle so that the water can run off of it. But you can put it into the side of the bank or, or on the top of the bank. That doesn't really matter too much. The real key thing is that the roots are going to kind of help um, stabilise the bank going forward. Once they've established, they'll hold the bank together so you won't get that um, loss of land really into the liver into the river. Right, so uh, it's just gone 11.02, so we'll wrap it up with that. I'd just like to say thanks to both yourself and Noel for coming on and joining me today. As part of Water Quality Week, it's good to have you on to talk to the dairy farmers in relation to it. Oh, hang on, there's just uh, one quick one here. Um, mm -hmm. Have you any 
work done on products like sawback and chemical free regenerative farming is it a runner in highly stocked farms that's a a sixty-four million dollar one from both of you know, I tell you that much. I leave That's you answer that one. Um, <laughs> no, uh, look at it. I, I think what what we're finding actually in the ASAP is is this kind of thing. You know, there, there's there's a there's a gap in research around a lot of things. Um, what that question is, you know, there, I don't think we have much. I know there's a bit of work going on um, in in Johnstone Castle, and they're beginning to start looking at these sort of alternatives and you know, different feed additives and things like that as well, you know. Um, so it has identified gaps in research, not just in Chagas, but, not, you know, Europe-wide. It's, it's just not there because we're finding out more and more problems, you know. Um, so look, at, can't answer you that one now, I'm afraid, Kevin. But um, look, at, ju just, I suppose, just before we finish up, just to reiterate, like, you know, I suppose in the area that we're most dairy farming is in, the, the farmyards... Is not an issue. It's it's diffuse nitrogen loss is the issue. You know, we, we, it's it's clearly the issue there. So, um, you know, every every farmer needs to use that nitrogen as carefully as they can. And the shorter periods of the year, that January, February, maybe a bit of March, that's that's where where a lot of it is lost. Also, in in September, October, over the winter period. So each if each farmer can can think about how they use their nitrogen in those periods of the year. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be to do themselves and their industry a great service if they could minimise the losses during that period. Because, you know, the EPA um, are looking very closely at these kind of things and know that they can tell they'd be coming out and telling us, telling agriculture, how much nitrogen is lost uh, out of a catchment in a year and what's the reduction required. And I know in one of the in one of the catchments in West Cork, you know, it's a bag of can per acre per year. Has been lost, you know. So that's you can do up the maths yourself and the sums about that after yourself. So, you know, it's it's really around the nitrogen that the, the dairy farmers need to look at and try and get a greater efficiency and use of nitrogen there if they can at all. I suppose uh, just to wrap it up, Noel, um, just in, a, in kind of following on from what Kevin Kevin's question there, I suppose we underestimate the power of lime. Um, our soil pH status across the entire country is a bit uh, under underrated really maybe and we need to do a lot more on that and it increases nutrient use efficiency which you mentioned earlier on as well so it actually increases the capacity of the soil to use the nutrient um, so I think we need to before we start running down rabbit holes after expensive products potentially now and I'm not knocking any product when I say that now but we, we can start at the very basics of lime in the first place uh, and that'll even actually activate P in soil and K that's in soil already, as well as improving nitrogen use efficiency as well. So yeah. I think they're, they're probably, like Emer mentioned, the soil maps yeah. there and targeting the fertilizer at the right spots. Lime is critical to that as well. So, okay, so I think, we, as I said, we've just yeah. gone over the hour there. Um, I'd like to thank you both very much for coming on. It was very interesting to talk to you. And uh, we'll talk to you again probably later in the year, maybe just to... Uh, geo people yep. maybe in advance of the close period potentially or something um, just as very good information there I really enjoyed that now so thanks very much that's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday so do listen in then I'm Emma Louise Coffey and thanks for listening <laughs>